Gang in 410, this is Sierra 100. You got a copy? Go ahead, Sierra 100. We've got reports of five armed men on Bright Angel Trail. Please disarm them. Over. You want me to what? Hello, and welcome to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. Whether it's great lives or great tragedies, or just showing up for the adventure, history that is told without being felt is minimized. Like food that is eaten without being tasted. What's the point? Tell the stories. Feel the people. Learn the lessons. Be a better you because of them. Don't keep reinventing the wheel. Will you get some of the story wrong? Yes! Will the size of the fish increase each time? Probably. Will there be a different perspective? Of course. So what? When we stand on the shoulders of the past, we can see with greater clarity into our future. True stories well told can inspire, caution, entertain, and instruct. If you judge the yesterdays of history by today's standards, then you deserve the same. If you erase it, you will repeat it. Please come on in and make yourself at home. Say, while you're here, can I get you something to think today? Garcia Lopez de Cardenas was born in Yarina, Corona de Castilla, second son to Alonso de Cardenas, first count of La Puebla del Muestra. Garcia, as a Spanish conquistador, was attached to the exploits of Francisco Vasquez de Coronado. Expeditions, including one led by Pedro de Tovar, had heard reports of a large river named Tizon, northwest of Cebola. Cardenas was dispatched in September 1540 by the general stationed in Cibola with the express mission of locating such a river and returning within 80 days. Pedro de Sotomayor accompanied him to record the event as a cronista or historical chronicler. After some 20 days of marching in a northwesterly direction, Lopez was successful. Alright, let's set up base camp here for the night. Tomorrow we'll commence explorations. And Pablo de Melgrosa, I want you and Juan Galeras and you to go into the canyon and find a route to the river Tizon. Get some rest. From the looks of it, you're gonna need it. See, si, Garcia. See. Si. Señor Gardines, necesitas agua. The descent is so precarious. We might have made it a third of the way down. We are battling sheer ledges and vertical drop-offs and rocks that are bigger than the great tower of Seville, the Geralda. Lo siento. No es posible, señor. It's more likely that the Hopi guides knew routes to the canyon floor. Their reluctance to lead these foreigners to the river is understandable. There's a greater chance of them taking these conquistadors on a hunting expedition for jackalopes. After three days, Garcia's band found difficulties in reaching the river Tizon owing to the sheer vertical distance down from their position. 
Tizan is a word for firebrand, and was the common term in Spain for sword. The river Tizon flowed at the bottom of an unimaginably massive expanse of ravines, gorges, gullies, and chasms. The locals referred to this location as Ontupka. The men of Cardenas were suffering from dehydration, and after several days of failed attempts to descend to the river Tizon, known today as the Colorado River, his party was forced to return to Cibola. Garcia Lopez de Cardenas is the first known European to see the Grand Canyon. No Europeans visited the canyon again for more than 200 years. With millions of years of geological history and thousands of years of human settlements, the Grand Canyon is now more than just a spectacle or a place to call home. It is one of the wonders of the modern world, but everyone experiences it differently. For example, Irvine Cobb of the Saturday Evening Post wrote, You can stand there gazing down the raw red gullet of that great gosh-awful gorge and feel your self-importance shriveling up to nothing inside you. The Southwestern writer Henry Long said, The Grand Canyon gave him a kind of cosmic vertigo and made him feel seasick and sleepless. Even Clarence Dutton, the topographical engineer with the Powell Survey in 1880, and a man who processed geological information better than almost anybody, used words like dread, awe, shock, oppression, horror, to describe the initial sensation of gazing out over that sudden void, that saber-toothed jackalope of the mind. Have you ever been to the heart of the Grand Canyon? Garcia Lopez de Cardenas, with his limited supplies, was not able to travel there or bathe in the River Tizon. It's a pity. The heart of the Grand Canyon lies at a place called Phantom Ranch. The trail that Garcia couldn't locate was originally built by the Havasupai people for access to the perennial water source of present-day Garden Creek. The Havasupai settled seasonally in this area, now known as Indian Garden. Ralph Cameron settled on the canyon rim in 1890 and began improving the old Havasupai Trail. And it was at this time that the trail was extended all the way to the Colorado River. Phantom Ranch turns 100 this year. This particular area first gained attention as a tourist camp in 1902 when David Russ began the planting of fruit trees and cottonwoods and the building of a camp for visitors. In 1913, President Theodore Roosevelt stayed at the camp during a hunting trip to the North Rim. And in 1922, the Henry Harvey Company commissioned Pittsburgh native and architect Mary Jane Coulter to redesign the area. Well, because of the difficulty of bringing supplies to the canyon, which hasn't changed over the years, Mary used native stones and rough cut timbers and other local materials in construction. Many of her buildings are in use today. Over the years, there have been thousands of visitors to Phantom Ranch. Initially, it was only the well-to-do and elite who were able to afford that ticket on the Santa Fe Railroad, and then traverse the Windy Canyon Trail by private accommodations to visit the heart of the Grand Canyon. Today, one can only get to Phantom Ranch by raft or by foot. 
，白米糊。Now, of those three options, two thirds of those who make the trek to the Phantom Ranch arrive on foot down the Bright Angel Trail, which is a 13-mile windy canyon descent from the south rim of the Grand Canyon. If you've ever made that trek. Just know that you've done something a Spanish conquistador was unable to do. Now, don't that make your sore feet feel better? <laughs> do you remember 1968? Well, I don't. But if you look it up, you'll see that it was a bit of a tumultuous year. 1968 was a year of assassinations. Protests, invasions, and lunar landmarks. 1968 had a timeline of anger, grief, and change. With each week, it seemed, came another shock, another tragedy. Well, for example, in January and February, problems inflamed in Vietnam. In April, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. In May, France falls into unrest and turmoil. In June, Robert F. Kennedy is assassinated. In August, Czechoslovakia is invaded by Russia. Of all the visitors to the heart of the Grand Canyon in 1968, there were a few ne'er-do-wells who quickly became infamous. And this is their story. Ranger Mel Heaton was stationed at Phantom Ranch that scorching summer of 1968. Married only a couple months prior. He was anticipating a quiet summer with good pay, at least good enough to justify driving around the canyon to get home. The North Kaibab trails had all been washed out with the winter runoffs and spring rains, so they was closed. The only trails open to Phantom Ranch that summer were from the South Rim, which for Mel meant a three-hour drive the long way around to his little town of Moccasin, Arizona. Canyon 410. This is Sierra 100. I sure could go for a snow cone today. Anything over 110 is just well, nothing good comes of it, as far as I can tell. Canyon 410. This is Sierra 100. Do you have a copy? Huh? Whoever's got 410 today is going to be in trouble. Canyon 410. I have a protocol. Ranger Mel Heaton, where the hell are you? We got a situation. Oh, oh crap! That's me. <clears throat> Canyon 410. Go ahead, Sierra. Canyon 410. Where have you? Never mind. Mel, we got trouble. Sierra 100. I'm sorry. I was just eating a sandwich and didn't realize it won't happen again. No, not that kind of trouble. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm sure I can handle it. Then. Five men with guns headed your way. I repeat, five men with guns headed your way. Or not. Can you repeat that? Actually, I'd rather not hear that again. <clears throat> Is that against the law? Maybe they're afraid of rattlesnakes. I don't know. Canyon 410 hikers reported that they were threatened at Indian Gardens. Hikers report incident to ranger station as soon as they were on the rim. Sierra 100, did they just threaten, or did they actually? Canyon 410 affirmative. No shooting yet. Just threats. They were putting guns under the chins of the hikers and asked if they believed in Jesus. The people didn't know whether to answer yes or no. They were terrified. 
Well, ain't that some point blank proselyting? <clears throat> uh, Sierra 120, what do you want me to do? You know I'm a posse of one today. Canyon 410, they're coming your direction now. We need you to take away their guns. I'll bet you do. Would you like french fries with that? Canyon 410, we're stopping any further hikers until this is resolved. Um, uh, okay, uh, do I answer yes or no if they ask me the Jesus question? What's the safe consensus, over? Canyon 410, we'll be there to back you up as soon as we can. Stay in touch. Uh, my question... <clears throat> Canyon 410, clear. Now that can't be right. 114 degrees? Oh my gosh. Canyon 320, Indian Garden. Uh, this is Canyon 410, you got a copy? Loud and clear, Canyon 410. Is that you, Mel? 10-4. Uh, it's me. Can you give me a location on these five guys that are just north of you? Sure thing. Let me get on top of the water tank with my radio and I'll get you their location. Ah, this might go against all odds, but I'll be damned if I want to engage in a Phantom Ranch shootout in this blistering heat. I don't want to be famous for that. Just gonna leave this gun here on the desk. Canyon 410, this is Canyon 320 at Indian Garden. I can see him. They are headed your way. Still on Bright Angel Trail, over. Thanks, Canyon 320. Clear. There was no radio signal where Mel was going, so he set the radio on the desk. Without weapon or communication, Mel set off for a location the rangers refer to as the River House, located at the base of the Bright Angel Trail. Today the River House is known as the Pipe Creek Rest House, and it was there he figured he would have the best chance to confront, apprehend, arrest, detain, Whatever. Honestly, he didn't know what he was going to do. Or even what he could do. This scenario wasn't covered in the FBI Ranger training he had received with the rest of the new recruits at the South Rim. His federal firearms carry permit wouldn't be of any use today. It was about a 15-minute hike to the River House. Mel crossed the silver suspension bridge and hurried towards the bottom of the Bright Angel Trail where he came across a few exhausted hikers whom he gave vague details that there was a situation and that they needed to go directly to Phantom Ranch. Mel stood there at the river house looking over the sandy beach and cool Colorado River then looked behind him up the trail. He had a distinct impression to hide out in the rocks to the east of the beach at the river's edge. I, I wonder if I should just hi hide behind the rocks? Oh yeah, boulders are stronger than bullets. Good idea. Calm down, Mel. You got this. Good grab, it's hotter than a $2 pistol down here today. 
Probably not the best expression to think of. Heck of a day for a shootout. This job ain't worth taking a bullet for, especially in this heat. I'd probably die from a heat stroke before I could bleed out. I wonder if one way of dying is better than the other. <laughs> Guess I'd rather not find out. Here we go. Here we go. Them boys sound sauced up. Just hope they're as hot as I am. Alright, praise Jesus. I'm feeling sunblitz. Time to copper squat in this chill river wire. Hey, idiots. Put your guns and clothes on this rock. That hike was a drag, man. Let's swim for We're friggin' far out. My tired feet. Here goes something. Well, Mel darted out from behind the boulder and in one quick motion, scooped up all the guns. The men in the water froze. Mouths agape. Hi, boys. Had a bit of fun in waiting down, didn't you? Well, you can pick up these guns from the Federal Marshal on the South Rim. Well, Mel beat a hasty retreat to the ranger station, where he continued to keep an eye on the now gunless desperados. Well, looks like they weren't bluffing. Just gonna unload these and lock them away. I'm gonna put my own gun back on now. Oh, I almost forgot. Sierra 100, this is Canyon 410. I got the guns. Over. How? Just waited until they went swimming. It's pretty hot day down here. Roger that. I don't know what to say except good job. The rangers should be there any minute. Thanks. The things are pretty quiet now. I'll drop the guns off on my way out. I don't think these guys are going to be giving us any more trouble. Canyon 410, clear. Well, Mel walked out to the porch and could see the shaggy-haired quintet slowly making their way from the river, across the Silver Bridge and towards Phantom Ranch. He saw them come sulking in and followed them to the ranch porch where they were drinking Cokes. As the men glared at Mel, he noticed that one of them stood at least eight inches taller than him. This gentleman was scruffy, dark, and significantly larger than this rookie ranger. But Mel had the only firearm now. All right, here we go. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, yes I do. Well, it's been a real treat getting to meet you fellas. <laughs> I don't expect that you boys want to spend your time at the Grand Canyon in jail, so I wouldn't bring any more attention to yourselves if I were you. Huh? Good choice. Oh, here come the replacements. Mel, are you okay? What the heck? How did you... <laughs> Ah, it was nothing. Just on a hot streak of good luck, I guess. 
Much relieved that an armed standoff had been averted, the overheated rangers took off their hiking boots and plunged into the rock-lined pool. Mel threw the pistols and ammo into his backpack atop his pile of things and set out at a steady trot up the South Kaibab Trail. This small-town country boy turned gunslinging park ranger had done his share of hiking in his 25 years of life up to this point. He had eventually trekked from south to north rims a total of 26 times, with his best time being six and a half hours. On this summer afternoon, in his eagerness to get home to his new bride, he topped out on the south rim in 90 minutes, which he had done more than once. When he climbed out onto the rim, his mountain goat hiking abilities were far overshadowed by the arsenal he delivered to the federal marshal. Good laws, Mel. What kind of magic trick did you pull? I just can't believe you did this without even a shot fired. <laughs> just a hot streak of good luck, I guess. Or something. Look, I gotta hit the road. Good luck with those fellas. I hope they just skin out without incident. But the sly sense of awe in the air was making this preferredly behind-the-scenes ranger uncomfortable. So he headed out the door and across the parking lot to his light green Chevy Chevelle. Mel, take a look at that VW bus over there in the corner. It belongs to your outlaws. California. Go figure. Mel threw his backpack into the car and pulled out. He paused to take a look at the dirty and dented VW bus. There were peace signs painted on it in various nondescript colors with a bumper sticker proclaiming that only Jesus can save you next to a dusty California license plate. There was something that looked like a dried out rat hanging from the rear view mirror. Mel looked closer. It was a rat. He thought it might be a good idea to steer clear of whatever religion those rough-looking boys was preaching. Ranger Mel Heaton was sure glad that his shift ended without a bang. Not everything that happened in 1968 was tumultuous, tragic, or inclusive of misled, pistol-packing Jesus freaks. It just so happens that on Christmas Day in 1968, the world watched the most broadcast television program ever. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you. In the time it took the exploration party of Garcia Lopez de Cardenas to attempt ascent in reaching the depths of the Grand Canyon, the crew of the Apollo 8 spacecraft flew from Florida to the moon. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. 
In the next 20 hours of their flight, they would orbit the moon several times. Hey, that's one of the better sims, believe me. We've had a couple of cardiac arrests down here too, Pete. There wasn't any time for that up here. The world came together for one transcendent moment that December of 1968. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. The United States had accomplished something that no other human had ever done in history. I feel the liftoff. The clock has started. Roger. A spaceship was launched into outer space. Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders crewed a spacecraft that left low Earth orbit. This is a new and strange environment at first. This suddenly finding yourself in orbit. It was the first human spaceflight to reach another astronomical object. And that object, the moon, was orbited ten times. I think we need to do a little more all-weather testing. Amen. It wasn't just network ratings that were shattered that day. It was also the first time humans had ever witnessed and photographed an Earth rise. And God bless all of you, all of you on the good Earth. Apollo 8's successful mission paved the way for Apollo 11 to fulfill U.S. President John F. Kennedy's goal of landing a man on the moon. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. It just so happens that 1968 played a vital role in helping to propel the late President Kennedy's out-of-this-world aspiration into reality. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Excelling and inviting others to look up to that example is always a better way to get folks to look to the heavens, to look to the moon, and beyond. To come to Jesus, no pistols required. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Thank you for listening to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Growing listeners will allow complete focus on content. Once again, I am just randomly being me. Until next time, remember, when your why is clear, your how is easy. And hey, we'll see you in the spring if the water's clear. Well, dad blasted, I sure enjoyed the visit today. If you gained something from it, be kind enough to follow us and leave a review. And do it right now. If you would, it'd sure be appreciated. 
Your comments have been so considerate and honestly left me blushing. And good night, those reviews make a big difference in the program's visibility. On the Apple platforms, you select the Go to Show option and then click the circle plus sign at the top right to follow. Then scroll down below the episodes to leave some stars in a review. Them algorithms need all the help they can get so as I could disrupt more good folks like you. So I tell you what, if you got a friend or three that you just don't like very much, well, share this podcast with them and let us bug them for a while. And if you have comments or suggestions for future discussions, well, don't just keep them to yourself. We, we'd love to hear from you. You could DM us on our Instagrams at fyo.podcast. And thank you. there remember to download the family tree app and see how you are related to the people from today's episode all those links will be included in the show notes sometimes it's important to look a gift horse in the mouth your gift is your ancestry your superpower is their family history stories that make you not a one of us crawled out from under a rock regardless of what you've been told You have 4,094 grandparents, over 12 generations, with thousands of love stories, battles, difficulties, sadness, happiness, and expressions of hope for the future that allows you to be here today. We are the culmination of so many things we did not choose. It was designed that way. So be gentle with yourself and others. Take the time to learn yourself through your family history stories. There are innumerable tributaries flowing into the life experience that deceptively seems to be your own, but it's not. So think about that as you row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Russell M. Nelson stated, When our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves. (laughs) I concur. Thank you for joining me on another unbelievably true adventure. Find your family history superpower and activate it. Until the next time, bye. <laughs>